Well, tremendous layup from Jonathan Nethercut. Got a piece of it, and then throws it for Goldstein. He's got it. Welcome back, Nethercut. The Summit have missed you. Welcome back. It's Swing Pass. Week 9 is in the rearview mirror, and while there weren't a whole bunch of really close results, there is a much clearer picture of the 2023 playoff race across all four divisions. We will be getting to that at the end of the episode, but up front we're going to be doing some results and recaps, in particular focusing on the big battle in the Central Division between Indianapolis and Madison, as well as the game of the week between Minnesota and Colorado. But there were eight other results, 10 in total from week nine. So let's get right into those, starting with Indy extending their six-game winning streak on Friday night with a big 23-22 win over the reeling 1-6 Madison Radicals. It's the third time in four seasons Indy has gotten a win at Bree Stevens Field after failing to do so from the entire stretch from 2013 to 2018. The Alley Cats completely reversing the narrative in the Central Division for their franchise, they look like one of the more up-and-coming young teams. Their defense continues to excel at a league-leading rate. Once again, just a big, big win as they sit now in a virtual tie with Minnesota, the top of the Central Division standings. Minnesota slipping on the road, just never really getting it together in Colorado, falling to the Summit 25-15. to on Saturday night, the Summit snapped their three-game losing, losing streak, get back to 6-3 and three in a tie for virtual second place with Los Angeles in the West Division, but they would break that tie if the playoffs were to start today due to the Summit's head-to-head -head win over LA a few weeks ago. So the Summit looked back on track. Again, their three losses this season have come by just one goal apiece. So it figured that the Summit would respond, and boy, did they respond big in Week 9. In other results, Chicago taking care of Detroit in their two-game set. First on Friday night in Chicago, 25-20, and then again on Saturday in Detroit, 18-12. The Union now improved to 5-3. and three. They sit in the third and final playoff spot in the Central Division, up a game on the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds who sit at 3-4 and four right now following last weekend's loss to Toronto. They're on the outside looking in. And, of course, Madison now few games back. They're technically not eliminated from the postseason quite yet, but it is looking very, very likely that Madison will miss the playoffs for the fourth straight season following their 2018 championship win. Elsewhere, L.A. extends their winning streak to five games, improving to 6-3, and three, sitting in a virtual tie with Colorado for second place in the West. They get an impressive 22-18 win over their SoCal rivals from San Diego. It's the second time the Aviators have put down the Growlers. Growlers now sitting at 2-6, and six, and similar to Madison, looks like their playoff uh, appearance streak might be snapped in 2023. The Growlers have made the postseason Every season since 2018, four straight appearances looking like that might finally end this year. They sit at two and six, well outside of the playoff picture in the West. Elsewhere, DC takes care of their road trip weekend. First up in Montreal on Friday night, 25 to 18 over the winless Royale. And then against Boston the next night, 20 to 16 in Boston, D.C. now sitting at 6-2, firmly in second place in the East behind their rivals from New York. 
in the South Division, Atlanta going on a Texas two-step and getting their first sweep of Austin and Dallas. Well, I shouldn't say Austin. They did not play Austin. Excuse me. They played Houston. But it is the first time in Atlanta's several seasons in the South Division facing Texas foes that they have gotten a road trip sweep in that state. They improved to 8-2. and two. They clinch a playoff berth in the South Division. And they sit, most importantly, in pole position ahead of both Carolina and Austin. We will talk later about who of those three teams between Atlanta, Carolina, and Austin could figure to get home playoff advantage and who might have to go through a road gauntlet in order to reach championship weekend through the South Division bracket. Toronto, speaking of playoff hopes, keeping theirs alive with an all-important 26-19 win over their countrymen from Montreal. The, the Rush now sit at 4-4 four and four in a virtual tie with Boston and Philadelphia for the third and final playoff spot in the East. However, Toronto sits behind both of those teams due to head-to-head losses to both of them. If there were to be a playoff today, Boston would qualify as the third and final seed in the East Division. Daniel, again, there hasn't been a whole bunch of drama that we can talk about from this past (laughs) week. And there was a little bit in Madison on Friday night with the Alley Cats essentially holding much of a wire-to-wire win throughout and putting down a few Madison comebacks. The rest of the Week 9 slate was few blowouts and a lot of playoff front runners kind of taking care of business, right? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I do want to give some credit to Indy, though. I mean, they I feel like they keep showing this year that they can really close out these games and consistently have had Madison's number late in these contests. And it's it's just impressive. They play a very clean game. I mean, Madison played a good game, too. So for Indy to still come out on top and just play a little bit cleaner Again, that D-line, I think they converted, what, like 7 of 11 break chances? Like, they're always so efficient defensively. It has just been more of the same for Indy, and they are really peaking at the right time, in my opinion, on this six-game winning streak, as opposed to Minnesota, who, you know, maybe bit off a little bit more than they could chew uh, on this hopeful road trip to Colorado. They, It's always, like, interesting checking in division-wise when these interdivisional games happen, like, We knew this was generally thought of as a more down year for the Central Division, given all the offseason losses we saw from Minnesota, Chicago, Indy staying relatively constant, Madison maybe staying constant, maybe at this point getting a little bit worse. Uh, But yeah, I think that that midseason check-in we just saw between Minnesota and Colorado, I think Colorado is totally fine after their three-game losing streak. They're, like you said, they're right back on track, whereas Minnesota, I think it's just a bit of a wake-up call after they have pulled out a handful of these Central Division wins. So it does it does set an interesting stage for championship weekend, regardless of who the Central Division team is that is representing the division. Quinn Finer said, don't press the panic button. Colorado did not press the panic button. And I totally agree with your points about Indian. Let, let's start there and kind of breaking down some game coverage. We'll start in Madison on Friday night. Indy getting that all-important 23-22 to win, extending their winning streak to six games, just being so, so impressive after dropping their first two games of the 2023 calendar. Like you say, it's been on both sides of the ball, so to speak, for mm-hmm. this Cats team on offense. They've got that kind of fulcrum around which they can build of all these veterans, Travis Carpenter, Rick Gross, Keegan North, Levi Jacobs, Cameron Brock. Like that fivesome is the most experienced offensive fivesome in the league. Mm -hmm. It's not the most talented. 
you know, I think sometimes we exclude it from certain kinds of best offense, offensive uh, unit conversations because of that, because we're so yeah. eager to talk about the New York's, the DC's, the Colorado's, you know, these kind of more exciting uh, weapon oriented attacks. Whereas the Alley Cats, it's a lot of bread and butter and a lot of consistency and a lot of know-how into how to get unjammed in any position on the field. And you could just see that against mm-hmm. Madison. This Madison team loves to run kind of cloak traps, double teams in the middle of the field, present to you five coverages in the first 10 points of a game, just give you a lot of different things for throwers to process. And you see consistently against offenses that do not have their stuff together, this Radicals team has a ton of success. You think about Thunderbirds the other week, even think about the teams when they've caught off guard in certain quarters this season where all of a sudden this break train gets going and they get back mm-hmm. into games. It almost happened on Friday night at the beginning of the third and fourth quarters. It almost happened a couple times a week prior against Minnesota, where there's just a fire from how this team can scheme and generate turnovers on defense. And against Indy, there was some of that. You know, Josh Wilson started off the game at that terrific yeah, behind the back uh, run through block into the, the bookends conversion by scoring on the back line. That was great. Nico Radabat also did some nice interceptions on the backside. They kind of anticipated some of the swing passes that the Indy offense relies on so Mm -hmm. much. But when the dust settles and when that fourth quarter happened, it's just Cameron Brock running away from people in the end zone. It's Keegan North being totally in rhythm the entire game and just firing these forehand hucks downfield wherever he wanted to. Xavier Payne, too, to his credit, he had a couple of early game mistakes and he just rallied right back into his confident shooter self. You know, he had a couple of hammer assists. He had the the game clincher in the fourth quarter the when dagger. Madison was mounting its defensive pressure. The crowd was getting into it. Big defensive cheers from the, the Breeze sidelines yeah. and the, the faithful and everything. And Indy ran out and ran like a set play huck and scored within, I don't know, <laughs> seven, ten passes to Xavier Payne, just airing it out to Levi Jacobs in deep space. And yeah. it's just like... They make it look so easy now. There's such coolness. There's such calmness. And we talk about a lot of these other pieces. Obviously, the return of Travis Carpenter has been incredible. Xavier Payne shifting over to offense gives them another shooter and another great defender should they have a turnover. Keegan North looks like the best version of himself I've ever seen. He seems to understand when he can take over and do more of his playmaking. He had that insane layout to cross-field assist on Friday night. But much more of his game is about distribution and understanding how strong the system is around him, not needing to be so Mm -hmm. much of the X factor as more of just an amplifier, right? Uh, Levi Jacobs, too, playing exceptional. Cameron Brock, despite some of his overall production numbers not being at the all-time great level that we're used to, He's still scoring like three of the most important goals in deep space in that game. He always yeah. he always scores. He goes on like these late game scoring runs where he's like quiet the whole game, but then he just like turns it on late and has these like game clinching grabs. And yeah, he makes it look so effortless. And it's just funny that you can sort of forget about him for the bulk of a game, but then fourth quarter when it matters most, there's Cam Brock in the end zone. But I'm kind of building up to this this point of. All these different players. One of the players who we've struggled to talk about the last couple of seasons, and it's been due to injury changes, style changes, the, this offense adapting. And one of the players that I was talking to with a couple of indie team members, Cameron Brock and whatever, after the game was Rick Gross. 
Like we talk about the stability, we talk about the the execution, the discipline that all of a sudden India is showing in the central division. I really think the emblem and the talisman for that has been Rick Gross's play. You go and you look at the top 10, top 20 scorers, leaders, offensive leaders historically in this league. It's Rick Gross's name is up there. He used to be a 50 goal scorer year after year in this league. He used to be on all kinds of highlight reels. That isn't happening as much. And yet he's arguably become the most effective version of himself that he's ever been. He's gotten a range to his throwing game that is at times quiet, but he can really strike deep, particularly on his forehand side. He can still go downfield and make plays. He had a terrific cleanup catch in double coverage on Madison on Friday night that set up a score in the goal line in one of the closer moments of the game. He's just one of those players who it's it's kind of emblematic, again, of this indie system where it's sometimes hard to get to talking about him in particular, but you go and you watch these games and it's just like, he's solid as a rock. He's just back there being this reset piece, piece that they need who can also be versatile enough to when he can psycho field and attack. And it just feels like they've got him, they've got North, they've got Carpenter can do that. Levi Jacobs can do that. You know, half of their offense can do that at this point. Cameron Brock threw a mm-hmm. scuba assist. On Friday night. That's how in rhythm yeah. they are, right? Like Cameron Brock is also cycling back into the handler space. Doesn't feel like the yeah. rest is. He did, he did throw that very ambitious cross field throw to North that required the layout. So I will say that he owes, <laughs> he owes Keegan like some kind of burger or some kind of reward. But, you know, it, it sure, just sure. getting back to gross. It's just there's so many pieces to this indie offense that are just so solid. And by extension, I feel like their defense and its counterattack has started to reprint that blueprint of possession and just kind of knowing when and where to use which weapons they're good in transition but they don't over rely on it and especially now without xavier Payne leading a lot of the counterattacks, they inserted him on a couple of drives but he's largely been an offensive player this year they've kind mm-hmm. of relied on a committee and they were without jake fell on jeremiah branson on friday night two of their more important pieces in the counterattack. And when I talked to Indy head coach Drew Shepard before the game, he said, yeah, you know, we're not really worried. It takes us from five throwers on our D-line counter to four. And he was absolutely right because all the other pieces, Carter Hawkins, uh, Seth Goodman, these, these sort of lesser known, these younger players, just they continue mm-hmm. to elevate into their roles. The high schoolers, Will Quigley and William Wettengel, like they were rolling them out onto these just – Monstar double teams of just limbs and no throwing opportunities that frustrated Madison throwers early in the game. There's just there's 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 a versatility in both the play style and in the lineup adjustments. It felt like they were never really running the same line more than two to three points at a time. They would change in little pieces depending on what matchup or what thing they wanted to do. Everyone's comfortable on both lines. They're they're lately like. Both offense and defense, I think, are converting on a 60% or better clip over the past month. Like, they just, they're they're efficient, man. This is a machine. And it's weird because I don't think we've ever seen a machine version of Indy. I think even when they made 2019 Championship Weekend, they were kind of punchy. They were, they were still going yeah. for a lot of highlights. They were still kind of, like, looking to go right at their interdivisional rivals. This year, it just feels like they're so confident in playing their game. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, yes, they made championship weekend in 2019. Obviously, in 2012, they did make it to the championship games, kind of the, mm-hmm. the forgotten first season of the AEDL. But in your opinion, is this the best indie team we've ever seen? 
Yeah. I don't even think it's that close. I, I think it's one of those teams where it's <laughs> yeah. like, we're going to look back maybe a year from now and say, like, we should have seen this coming more because, again, they're so young. Like, And it doesn't really right. feel like Cameron Rock is going anywhere and some of these veteran leaders are really falling out of their prime. And you, like, the window is closing at all. It feels like they have this great right. mix of veteran leadership, guys who have been there, guys who went to championship weekend in 2019, and then all these mm-hmm. eager sort of well-coached pieces that are just – again, able to step up into the roles, able to win their one-on-ones. And you just, week in, week out, they're winning these margins. And that's so important in the Central Division right now. I don't know, again, given how like Minnesota performed on Saturday night in Colorado, (laughs) I don't know how Indy's going to perform in the larger atmosphere. But the the same thing was said in 2019 when they got the semifinal draw against the undefeated Empire. And a lot of people forget Indy. Indy made it a little interesting in the third quarter. Everyone was expecting this huge double-digit blowout, Empire going away, and Indy kept coming because this is not a team that gives things away much in the margins. And I think that this version of Indy is better at that than 2019. Like, I do think that they're more disciplined. I do think that their offensive system is both more talented and just better at executing. Like, I like like the pieces, and I like how the pieces are playing together. I think even more than that, right. a really, really good 2019 team. Yeah, I agree with you. I think in 2019, they just didn't have quite the same array of contributions that they're getting this year. It's it's a deeper team. They're getting more from every single one of their role players. And yeah, in, in my opinion, this ceiling for this year's Alicats team is the highest they've had in franchise history. Yeah, they're just really solid. They're really well coached. They're good at situational ultimate. They're good in the red zone. They're good at capitalizing on defensive break opportunities. It's kind of like just going down a checklist of what makes a winning team, what makes a playoff team. It would be the Indy Alley Cats. I almost feel like if you were to do some kind of like blind resume with all of the potential playoff teams, (laughs) Indy would acquit itself a lot better than I think where people have them mentally and kind of what they do. I just think that they do yeah. a lot of different things well. They have a lot more depth than we thought going into this season. And they're just, again, everyone seems to be playing at the elevated level. They they miss two defensive right. starters. Doesn't really throw them off at all. And so they're, they're just, they're, they're tough too. And I think that that counts for something in the Central this year where there isn't going to be a whole bunch of easy victories in these interdivisional matchups. Definitely. But... I shouldn't say I should say intra division matchups because interdivisional has to do with what happened to Minnesota and Colorado, and that wasn't very pretty. That was kind of a rebuke Not of the central division. Colorado handing Minnesota that ten goal loss on Saturday night, and again, it was it was kind of apparent from the outset that this Minnesota team just didn't really have the juice in Week Nine. There was, I think, some. Some, I think, alleviation of my skepticism in the first quarter of saying, oh, this is the first time these two teams have ever played. They're so wildly different. It's going to be a little Mm -hmm. bit erratic. There's going to be some nerves, excuse me, learning curves. But, like, things will settle down. They're just getting to know each other. And then that never happened. Colorado got on track. They kind of eliminated some of the woozy turnovers that they were committing early and really looked a lot more like the team that's been right there neck and neck with the best in the West the past couple of weekends. Whereas Minnesota, they're they're integrating Abe Coffin after being out of the lineup for a, over a month with an injury. They're absent some of their defensive starters. They're playing at altitude. They've had 
five or six different starting offensive rotations throughout the course of the season already. Felt like an even newer one on Saturday night. It was just a lot of lack of consistency, and it looked really dissimilar to how Minnesota had been playing as recently as Week 8 in Madison, right? Like, in Madison, this windshield team seemed so set on what it wanted to do on both sides of the ball. On defense, they wanted to ping you deep. They wanted to play field position. They wanted to blitz you and make you run 90-yard drives against them. And then every single time you made a mistake, they were going to attack you in the opposite direction. Dylan DeClerc, Brett Bergmeier getting in transition, getting open, and just scoring goals quickly, putting a stamp on defensive drives. That that didn't happen like at all on Saturday. And then offensively lately, the windchill have been able to kind of construct this uh, diversity of attack, even absent some of their top throwers. They've been good at elevating Tristan Vandy Mortel and Jordan Taylor into bigger roles. I really like how the Minnesota attack has sort of adapted itself throughout the course of the season. Will Brandt continues to play really well. Josh Klain was one of the biggest huckers in the game entering this weekend. Mm-hmm. And they could just not choose a style in Colorado. And and to some of the credit goes to the summit, but it felt more like Minnesota just had a complete loss of agency. Like they just didn't know what team they were against the summit team that very much acquitted itself of any kind of doubts. It was, yeah, it was a a messy offensive game for Minnesota. And I think so much of their central division success to this point has come from their D-line, being able to go on these big break runs and guys, like you said, like Bergmeier, DeClerc, like really hitting a rhythm and then just scoring repeatedly like we saw in that Madison game last week. They had five break chances in this game against Colorado. They just weren't, they weren't aggressively getting after the disc. They weren't getting blocks. I think they had five blocks as a team. Two of those came from Will Brandt, who did not play a single D point on the night. So it was just like, I don't know if it was a lack of defensive pressure or if it was Colorado just playing really fundamentally sound on offense, because they did. I mean, this was kind of a return to form for Colorado. Like Netherco is back at the helm. Atkins was releasing a lot more downfield, which is yep. such an ideal. Yeah, I was going to say, I wanted to, I wanted to congratulate you. You got the Atkins that you wanted, which is still a lot of touches yeah. to be more motivated oh, as a receiver. And so to, much better. to your point. Yeah. And they need that playmaking. They need his audacity, his swagger downfield. Like, yeah. I feel like unless you are Jonathan Nethercutt, there's only so much you can kind of do being a disc wizard behind the ball, right? Like, and Atkins... Right. For as talented as a passer, I don't think in any of this we're trying to misconstrue that he doesn't deserve 60 touches a game or something, but his playmaking is just so undeniable in the rate in the way it just raises their roof. I mean, you just yep. saw it. It, it. And I feel like with that, it clears out so much of that middle ground for them to do more of their possession-based drives. It frees up more mm-hmm. opportunity for Maddie Jackson who had a kind of return to form game after being a little quiet the past few weeks. He is so, yep. so good when he's just sprinting around out there. I, I, I just love that you say like Atkins should be downfield more. And then these are the results of what him just getting a few more receiving touches does. Yeah. It's so much nicer. And it's just, you know, it's that Colorado offense. That's like so spread out, like finer and fruit had great games too. And just having mm-hmm. Nethercut as the fulcrum and Nethercut didn't even have like, such a big nethercut game by his standards yep. they didn't need to because 
yeah, I, I just think that that whole offense is full of playmakers and just getting them in the spots where they can best succeed is really what it's been all about. And, you know, we, we got Spicer back on defense this game. He had his best game of the season, too, tossing five assists, getting two blocks, including so that ridiculous layout block, which was like it was like a head on the swivel poach in the backfield late in the game. He he's just so fun to watch defensively. But his offensive game, I, I really think, has leveled up considerably in this season compared to last and just having him on the counterattack to lead drives has just been invaluable for this summit squad. So I think it was, it was a good return to form game for Colorado in addition to a a big heat check for Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I take much away from this Minnesota performance. If it happens again, then I'm concerned if they continue to show that this disrupted what they were trying to do, but it felt yeah. very much like they just weren't quite prepared in what they wanted to run. Some of the absences, like Sam Berglund, I think really kind of added up for them, given where that their game is sure. going the past few weeks. And we were talking about this before the show. I thought that they did a little bit of a disservice to Abe Coffin by shoving him into an offensive starting role and saying, go make plays. Like, one of the, the first point of the game is them just airing a huck out to a guy who's coming back from a hip injury. Like... It felt yeah. like a lot was put on his plate and Coffin did make several mistakes that we were totally unaccustomed to seeing from him. And it just, it felt mm-hmm. kind of representative of everyone's a little bit out of their comfort zone and against a team as talented as Colorado, they're just going to take advantage of you. I mean, you, you talk about Cody Spicer, Matthew Agee too, looked like he was finally at full strength again and he had two huge takeaways Rookie Alex Arnstein has been elevating in recent weeks. He, he made a couple of impressive plays. It just felt like a return to form a little bit for a Colorado defense that had been absent some yep. injuries and I think struggling to get a little bit of their mojo. There's such a team that feeds off of those big blocks that kind of Cody Spicer led, like rang it on your head, defensive break train energy. And it just yep. hasn't been there of late as Spicer's had to spell into offense and I kind of want to get into that for a second because we've talked about here too. It's it's never like we have any doubt in Cody Spicer. He was fantastic <laughs> on the road in his offensive role last weekend, but it is just so outside of where his true strengths lie. And this game against Minnesota just really reminds you of that. And it's mm-hmm. it's the thing of, and I was talking with a coach earlier this season about Spicer. He is so intelligent and he is so good at accruing game data as it goes along that switching him onto lines back and forth is sort of a disservice to how good he is at getting that late game layout block in the reset lane. Like that block is set up from three quarters of Spicer studying backfield movements and knowing when to cancel following the upline cut and instead sitting back and getting that, that swing pass. Mm -hmm. And he's just not the kind of defender who's like a Matthew Agee, who's just going to run out there and fly at head level and get a gigantic takeaway. Like, that's not right. Spicer's game. He's he's more cerebral. He still has incredible explosiveness. He's still one of the best, if not the best, at simply just reading what an offense is doing. But so much of that comes from accrued game data. It's not just him making snap plays. It's him reading the first five drives of the offense and going back to the team and talking about, hey, here's what they like doing. Let's let's adjust here. Let's do this there. And you could just see with Minnesota not really knowing how they wanted to set up each of those attacks, it was just Spicerville 
for the Colorado defense where that whole yeah. that whole unit was just able to all of a sudden sort of cut off the extra swing, discontinue the downfield huck look, and it just sent everything Minnesota was trying to do into array. And it's just it's such a hallmark game for Spicer where you don't yeah. have this like like the the lane block even. It's not like the most impressive sports center level defensive play ever, but no. it is just it so nice. so so representative of like how this Colorado defense can really just tighten and screws and get into opponents' heads. And it it's it's a good reminder because I we we haven't seen that in recent performances. That that kind of handler pressure, that that full field engagement, that hasn't been the case. And and maybe yeah. that's like how good the Salt Lake offense is playing, how good Oakland played in week eight, but right, it, it's right. nice to see Summit reassume their identity. But that's enough for week nine results. I want to get into playoff picture. We kind of hinted at it at the beginning of the episode. After this weekend, it really feels like we have the truest sense of who is going to be competing in these final four weekends of the regular season going into the mm-hmm. playoffs and who's who's not really in it anymore. And going through the divisions, we can just start at the top in the central. Minnesota sitting in first place. In a virtual tie with Indy, both six and two, but Minnesota owns a head-to-head. So right now they would have a home playoff game going into the Central Division bracket. Indy in second place, Chicago in third. In the East, you have the undefeated Empire, eight and zero, sitting up in first. Second place, six and two, DC. Third place, three, four, and four teams: Boston, Philadelphia, and Toronto. Boston again would claim the playoff spot if it was starting today, but. Philly is hard charging. Toronto still believes they haven't played their best game yet this season, and they remain right, right there because of their easy schedule, and they will continue to have a softer schedule than Boston or Philadelphia going down the stretch. So if the Rush can continue to take care of business as they did on Sunday, they stand to just backdoor into these playoffs while maybe maybe better teams sit on the sidelines at home, but we will see. The South Division, we've kind of had this idea set since the beginning of the season. Atlanta, Carolina, and Austin all well on their way to the 2023 big show in the postseason. Atlanta, of course, clinching a playoff berth, but they haven't yet clinched a home playoff game because of how tight the top of the division is in the standings between Austin, Carolina, and Atlanta. Atlanta and Carolina still have two more games to go this season, so it is far from finished in in determining who will have home field advantage in the South Division. And that really feels like it's going to be the determining factor as to kind of who advances to championship weekend. We talk about the heat in that region alone heading into late July, Mm -hmm. early August. Whoever doesn't have to play back-to-back games in a weekend is really going to stand to benefit uh, who do you like in the South right now? We'll we'll get to. I, I guess I'll set the West really quick. In the West, we have eight and zero Salt Lake in first place, Colorado and LA in a virtual tie for second at six and three, leaving Oakland, who was inactive in Week Nine, at five and three, suddenly sitting in fourth place, a little bit outside of the playoff picture, just communicating how tight the West Division race is. We'll get to that in a second. I wanted to ask you though about the South Division because it feels like. It's been playing out a little bit in the background. Carolina has had some pretty important interdivisional results. So it feels like the South is sort of this amoeba mass right now where you've got three immensely talented teams, but it's sort of hard to figure out the exact pecking order of where things are. You know, Atlanta gets a win in the first matchup against Carolina, but then Carolina gets Mm -hmm. it 
in the rematch. Carolina has beaten Austin in both times they've played this season. So it feels like they've kind of reasserted themselves after losing to the soul in 2022. There's just, there's, there's like a rock, paper, scissors quality to how this South division is going, where each team feels like it has a favorable matchup against another particular one. But I have no idea who to interpret to really be the, I think, favorite to claim the championship weekend spot. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And I still go back and forth on like how much the home field advantage is going to matter in the South or like specifically with what seeds, like obviously if you can get the first seed, it's just nice. You have home field advantage and you only have to play one game, which is great. You have the second seed home field advantage. Nice, but you still have to play two games. I think right now Atlanta is in the best position to get the one seed. Obviously they are in first place in the division. They did officially clinch the playoffs but they have one fewer loss than Carolina right now. And those teams are going to play two more times, like you mentioned. That's what it's going to come down to. And I don't know. At this point, I have a hard time believing that Carolina is going to... Not a hard time believing. I just... I don't think that Carolina is going to win both those games. I think these teams are way too close for Carolina to outright win both. I think it's possible... It's most likely to me that they split. Obviously, there's a chance that Atlanta wins both those games, too. All of those odds stacked together, in my mind, it's just like if Atlanta goes one and one, they will have the top spot in the South because both teams have that tiebreaker over Austin. So even though I don't necessarily think Atlanta would be my favorite to make it to championship weekend, I I do like them as the one seed. And I don't know, have I have I avoided the question or have I just like kind of elaborated into into nothingness you're, you're doing a little you're doing a little bit of cohen hedge work you know i i know how you appreciate your atlanta, all right, let me here i'm gonna i'm gonna make it clear let's just set it in stone atlanta is my one seed carolina is the two seed or sorry sorry carolina is the three seed because they'll have four losses atlanta's only or austin's only gonna have three and then yeah it just sets up a super exciting potential carolina rally to championship weekend but no, nah, it's not going to happen. Let's take Atlanta <laughs> going to championship weekend right now. Champ- Atlanta, Atlanta one seed, Atlanta championship weekend. You can you can pen that in for me. I just I I think on paper I like Atlanta as much as Carolina, but given the most recent result and given the kind of I think confidence the Flyers have against the Hustle over the past season and a half. You know, you go back to last year, the Flyers swept Atlanta in their season series in three games. So Atlanta gets that first win of 2023 against their closest rivals. I don't know that they can necessarily close out these final two matchups against the Flyers so well. Like Carolina really had their number in that last matchup. Hustle were, what, 3-0 at that point? They looked like the best team in the league, and the Flyers did their just sort of straight-up flat mark we're going to challenge you every single pass defense. And the hustle had a hard time showing the same level of confidence that they do against most other teams this year. And I, I, until I see that kind of mojo wear away for Carolina in particular against Atlanta, there's still going to be my favorite every single time I start talking about championship weekend. I just think that that's that the flyers have, it's just, it's unquantifiable, but of any team, Maybe other than New York, can you so thoroughly say, yeah, those go those guys go out and compete on a championship level basically week in, week out, other than Carolina? 
Like, I just think that they have yeah. acquitted themselves so thoroughly over the past three-ish seasons since the start of 2021 of just being those guys, that team. Yeah, they can lose back-to-back games. They can start multiple seasons 0-2. I don't care. As I said even a couple weeks ago, I wanted them to go 5-7 and seven and show up at championship weekend. That wouldn't be that outside of the norm because – when the dust settles, they're just they're a damn good team and they kind of compete down to the man. And I just the hustle haven't won a playoff game. You know, like the thing is they haven't won a playoff game since 2016. Since 2016. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I they, get they it. Beat the I, Flyers in 2016, and then they went and got ritually slaughtered by <laughs> Dallas because it was 2016 Dallas. Sure. I, I obviously understand the Carolina hype. Yes, they are. They're more deserving at this point to to have us not deserve for championship weekend. Not, I don't. I don't want to say deserving, and I really don't want to sound like I'm taking historically, historically, just, and this season. Carolina is one of maybe two or three teams where I say definitively, you got to take it from them for me to see a different narrative. Like sure, you can't sure. just be like. We're playing better. Like, no, you got to go and you got to show me you beat them in the playoffs. I get it. That's, okay. That, but that's, here, all. that's all. But like, here's, that's and I, I, know, I know we don't want to get too into the remaining schedule, but we kind of have to with the South. Like, it's hard. You can't not talk about the schedule when you're yeah. talking about the South. Carolina either has to beat Atlanta in both games to finish the regular season. That would give Carolina the one seed. But then presumably, you know, if Atlanta takes care of business against Austin in that first playoff game, Carolina would again have to beat Atlanta for the third time in this late season stretch to advance the championship weekend. Atlanta, on the other hand, could split games with Carolina and then just beat them one more time in the playoff. Like, do you think it's likely that Carolina beats Atlanta three times to close out the season? This is like fraction math, though. Like, I hear what you're saying. Like, I understand that the statistics They just seem so close to me. Eating. Don't they seem... They are. Like, they are. They are. But I, I still think that Atlanta sits in that slight little brother sidecar role still. Like, and I think that they're trying their damn yeah. to disprove that this year. And I think that more than any other season, this is the hustle team to do it. Like, I love, again, their, their ability to show different mul- multiple offensive attacks their defense is deeper than ever justin burnett is playing like a defensive player of the year candidate he seems to get one or two jaw dropping blocks a game now i I love everything the hustle are doing and yet they have again like one of them and new york teams where i'm just there's there's a cap they've won a title in the past two years i can't take it from them yet they've earned it yeah it's fair that's all that's all that's all Okay. All right, we'll move into. Let's move into the West. Let's move into the West. Let's move into the West. Yeah. Uh, so we've got eight and zero Salt Lake. I think they're one game away from at least clinching a playoff spot, right? Because they good. they have wins over yeah. every other divisional opponent, and every other team right now has three losses. So I think they just need one more to clinch their postseason ticket. And then we've just got a mess of three teams right below them who all seem to be neck and neck with each other. Colorado stands to be the favorite among them, given their pedigree, given their West Division championship last year. And I think just given who they are, similar to Carolina, yeah. this is a blue-blooded team. You know, they're they're a bunch of thoroughbreds. They showed that against Minnesota. They had the kind of response win that I think championship caliber teams have after experiencing their first ever losing streak, right? Like, 
to turn it around that suddenly and that emphatically, I think is a really good display of this Colorado team in year two and where their focus is at. Oakland and LA, I think are with them this season, like in terms of their energy, in terms of how they construe themselves. I think those teams Mm -hmm. can play up to that level. I just wonder if other than like an immaculate performance, if Oakland can take down Colorado again, if LA can take down Colorado without like their perfect game. Cause that's kind of what it felt like right. the spiders had against the summit. It's the summit and the second game of a back-to-back Oakland's yes. just pushing it on offense, fast break, every drive. You got to deal with Clyburn and Lawrence and Magsig and Frankenberg each and every possession over the top. Like, it just felt like they were so perfect in orchestrating their pressure. And I don't know that they're going to get the summit against the ropes like that again. I don't know that LA is going to get the summit in a vulnerable position again this season. And so I'll kick it over to you. Like, what do you think of kind of this evolving race for second and third of the West? Do you, do you still think of Colorado as being a notch above do you see them as being more mortal given their recent three game losing streak i i still think of the summit team the same way i did two weeks ago i started to have some questions last week I, we talked about on here but like yeah. can go win yeah. questions out the door like okay yes. <laughs> exactly i at this point to me the east and the west have a lot of similarities in that i'm pretty certain of the top two teams in both these divisions whereas like yeah there's some challengers for the three seed and obviously the west race is is probably the the difference between the three seed and the two seed in the west is closer than what we're seeing in the east with like new york and dc just being the clear favorites but i don't know i mean philly 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 is chirping and then hanging in there uh, I, I just think Colorado and Salt Lake, like it's it's their division, and I don't see LA or Oakland seriously challenging them in a one game playoff setting. Like you said, it's not to take anything away from Oakland. The fact that they did beat Colorado, a shorthanded, a somewhat shorthanded Oakland roster did that too. Again, without Chris Long, without Mac Hecht, but yes, it was the second game of back to back. You could just see how gassed Colorado was at the end of that meeting. And I just think going to Colorado, I, I do assume Colorado is going to close things out and get that two seed. I just don't see Oakland or LA going into Colorado and taking down the summit to advance to the West Division Championship game. So in my mind, it's it's not set in stone, but this is like one of the divisions where I'm I'm pretty clear on who the top two teams are, you know. Top two teams, but now let's expand it to three. Who are your three playoff picks in the West Division? And then we'll bounce it over to the East where there's a similar kind of three-way tie. I, I think I want to I take Oakland over LA right now. I think I've seen a little bit more consistency from them. And I'm not like totally sold on it. I mean, LA has obviously been great on this five-game winning streak, but their wins have all come against like, you know, Seattle and, and Portland and... San Diego, right? Like, I think it is literally those three teams. So Oakland does have that defining win over Colorado. So so to, to me, I give them the inside track for that three spot. But again, two, two late season meetings, just like Atlanta and Carolina, is really going to decide that playoff race. Daniel is, of course, referring to LA and Oakland have not met in 2023 yet. And we still get to see two meetings between the two teams fighting for that third and final playoff spot. In the West. Who knows, though, 
who knows, Colorado still has a game against New York. That could really throw That's a monkey right. wrench into some of these tiebreakers later in the season. So not so fast. Uh, but now let's talk about just briefly the East. And specifically, let's talk about that three-seed race between Boston, Philly, and Toronto. It feels like Philly is the most talented team. And if you go on social media, Definitely. of course, they will confirm that for you. They think that they're yep. a top three team tell you. somehow, even though they're still not a playoff team technically. They still sit no, behind Boston due to the fact that they gave up a seven-goal lead on the road to the glory a few weeks ago, and Boston owns a head-to-head tiebreaker with the Phoenix. So do the math there. I, I think that by all accounts, like how Philly is playing recently, they should get the third seed if they continue to hold. But they still have games against Boston and Toronto who are very mm-hmm. much considering themselves to be on equal footing with the Phoenix. And I really think that it might just come down to who can take care of the most winnable games in their schedule, which right now is Toronto, who hasn't really played an impressive game yet outside of the ones that they've played against the Royale. They have three wins against Montreal, which is kind of what's floating their playoff resume so far. But it doesn't matter the strength of your schedule when determining who gets to the playoffs? It's just straight wins and losses. And so I think that it's interesting that for as much as Boston and Philly seem like for how they've played, they slot right into that third seed. Rush continue to take care of business in the schedule that we've been saying from the beginning would be very beneficial to them. They still have a Detroit game on their schedule. So I, it's so hard in my mind to wrap around what's happening in the C division. Because again, you have Philly beat Carolina. You have Boston, who's even played some impressive course, and I think their defense deserves consideration for them being a quality playoff team. And then you've got Toronto. Mm -hmm. Toronto, who we were super hyped about. Toronto, who has a lot of offensive playmakers, but Toronto team who is still just, I think, a series of question marks above everyone's head as to what's (laughs) going to happen quarter to quarter. You know, they can put up 10 goals. They could get outscored by nine. Like, that's, that's the kind of variance to this Toronto team. And so, I, I, again, I'm just kind of rambling now because I don't know who the hell to choose. Like, I really do not know what is going to kind of shake out this East Division third seed. Like, I, if Philly wins out, obviously, like if they just take care of business against Boston and Toronto, but Boston and right. Toronto are kind of chaos teams in 2023. They get weird win. They get a lot of defensive breaks. There's a lot of runs and sort of rubber band results in their game. So... Nothing's easy. Nothing's easy yeah. in those games. I mean, the good thing is that all three of these teams play each other, I think, twice down the stretch. Like, they all have two meetings against the other two, which is which is great. And so we're going to see this playoff race take shape, like, based on the merit of these teams. Like, I, I don't think Toronto's easy schedule is going to factor in so much. I mean, yes, they have that Detroit game, but it is still another game against Boston, another game against Philly. And I think they all have a DC game left, maybe, um, which you know we we assume DC is going to take care of business there. I think Philly's the best team here. I, I think Philly is going to close yeah. things out because they are the most talented team, and and I, I give them the nod for the three seed right now. I just don't know if closing out is what they do yet. Like no, the, I mean they're still the yeah they're Pittsburgh, still a grab bag the, the against Boston. Like it's still just. I agree with how they're playing lately. Like, I love that defense. Like, that defense and the yeah. way that they... They're, they they're playing the best of these three teams. 
Like Philly reminds me a lot of how Indy's playing right now, where they kind of just come at you with a few, pre- yeah, uh, simple like defensive presentations. They love to do flat marks and try to challenge your Hucks backfield with help over the top, and they just kind of say come at us. And I feel like it's very similar to Indy, where there isn't necessarily like this this Cody Spicer level presence, this Ben Yacht, this this kind of like absolute star level thing, but it's. Right. It's, it's a lot of Matt Hanna, Eric Whitmer, Max Triflis, just getting blocks and getting into transition Paul quickly Owens. and just frustrating you. Paul Owens, thank you. I knew I was going to leave somebody yeah. out, but I, had to I, I love that Philly defense. It's just, and, and the Philly offense is really starting to take shape too. And just, I think, have a lot more confidence in possession-based drives and not having yeah. to rely on the deep game, but it's still just like, those first few results in that 04 start. Just <laughs> I know, I know. It's hard to be totally like, sold on them. I, 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 I believe what I'm seeing now. It's just like in the same timeline as the game against New York where they couldn't complete a swing pass. And granted, that was some of the elements. But like, you know, the, yeah. the, I, I'm just I'm just saying. Anyways. But they, you know, <laughs> they've generally gone like this this season, right? Oh, like they're, they're going like this. Trend. And that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. The game against Montreal, the game against Carolina – you know, right. they're, they're a good team. Like, I can see where they stem that confidence from. Like, when they play up, but sort of like what the Ringer guys have been talking about, it's like there's the hot birds and there's the cold birds. And until there's more of a sense as to which one is the true identity for a 4-4 four and four team, yeah, it, it, it's, it's really hard to settle on, yes, this is the third best team in the East. But I, 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 I totally agree. I think how they're playing indicates yes, that but they need to stay hot is is obviously right. the, the caveat there because yeah they are, four, we are four and four they were cold and then they're hot so yeah we don't know what this final stretch of four games is going to hold but i don't know I, I think they're i know they're feeling good based on their twitter presence uh and so <laughs> I, I think they they have the confidence to to close things out well, we are rounding into the true summer months here. It stands to reason that there will probably be a heat wave. And so hot birds will rise. We will be around to see who else will really rally down the stretch here as we build towards the 2023 AUDL playoffs. That'll do it for this week nine recap episode. We will be back on Thursday to preview week 10, which has a bunch of tantalizing matchups starting with the free friday frisbee event the salt lake shred will be taking their 8-0 record on the road to play la who has their own five game winning streak to protect at home in a battle of two prospective west division playoff teams there will be a slew more of important rivalry games we will be with you to preview most if not all of them Thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to get going now. We'll talk to you soon. Bye now.